Hi, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. And I'm thrilled today to have with me um, Abby Blakesley, who is a somatic experiencing practitioner. She is also a faculty for the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute, and she holds a PhD in clinical and somatic psychology. She also happens to be um, the one who is leading me through my somatic experiencing training. And I'm so happy to have her here today. Hi, Abby. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, um, it's a pleasure. So I would love to have you just talk a little bit about the somatic experiencing work. I know I bring it up a lot with my audience, but I feel like there would be a great benefit from someone, from an explanation coming from someone like yourself who has so many years of experience and is teaching the work and um, practicing it in your own clinical practice, as well as being on faculty. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoy talking about somatic experiencing. And the reason why I teach it is because of all of the different modalities of healing that I've studied, I really find it to be so fundamentally relevant and life-changing. Hmm. And at first, it sort of is a practice. We start to notice different things inside of our body and maybe move our attention to different areas. But through a process which I'll describe a little bit about, we become more and more regulated. And as we do that, we become more and more self-actualized. So it becomes a way of life. And um, it's a, a wonderful way of knowing yourself better. So let me talk a little bit about just the definition of somatic experiencing. Okay. And somatic means body-oriented. And experiencing is a verb. So the important piece here is that we learn to attend to our bodies in the present moment and that transformation and change happens in the here and now. So if we're thinking about something that happened to us in the past, we have an association in the present. Or even as we look around, there are things that we're not conscious that we're remembering things that remind us of something. I mean, you can think about, we call it like a trigger, right? Something from the past maybe that was um, unresolved or difficult or overwhelming. And then something similar enough happens and we start to feel some emotions, right? Um, we might get charged up, we might feel shut down, we might approach something or avoid something. Um, but all of that has a body-based component to it, a bodily-based experience to it. And so in the somatic experiencing work, we start to notice and attend to sensations. Now, sensations can be very textured. It could be things like coolness or warmth or tingliness or a feeling of expansion or a feeling of tightness right? There can be all different kinds of layers of experience and in different parts of the body. Sometimes it's in our head, sometimes it's our mouth, our throat, our chest, our stomach, our arms, our legs. So we begin to get curious about these different textures, I may call them, hmm. or internal experiences in the body. And in particular, why this helps is that we're beginning to feel into a part of our physiology 
that is quite active in trying to keep us safe. Hmm. And that part of the body is called the autonomic nervous system. And Dr. Peter Levine is the originator of somatic experiencing. And a quote that I use a lot in describing the work, which is so foundational to it, is that trauma is not in the event, but it's in the nervous system. Hmm. And, you know, when you think about times in your life, you've gone through something difficult. And maybe you think back on it and you think, gosh, those teenage years were really hard or that argument that I got in or that, that fall that I had, that was a really rough time. And maybe you feel a little constriction in your throat, you get a little teary, but it feels like it's in the past. Now, trauma is kind of like a lightning bolt from out of the blue. And what it does is that it creates sort of a breach in the protective barrier in the self. That's actually a quote from Sigmund Freud, who's one of the originators of psychoanalysis. And this breach in the protective barrier creates dysregulation in the autonomic nervous system. And so we respond to a real or perceived life-threatening event and the nervous system will respond to protect us. Now, I'll talk a little bit more about this as we move ahead, but if the nervous system stays in this heightened state of survival physiology, if it doesn't let down or reorder itself back into kind of the, the present moment or the sense of flow in time, we can get stuck in these dysregulated states or something similar enough to the event occurs on the outside, someone who reminds us of somebody who hurt us or um, something where we were in true danger and we had to shut down. And so we start to go at the same speed that we did when we were in a terrible skiing accident and we're at the same speed, but we're in a car and our body shuts down because there's a reminder of something that was really perilous. That's where trauma resides. It's the nervous system responding as if the trauma is still happening or as if it still needs to go into these heightened protective states. So I'm going to pause there. I still have some more to say, but I'm going <laughs> to check in and see, you know, if you, because you're studying the somatic experiencing model and, and any of your thoughts or... Um. I'm curious because I, I do hear a lot of different talk about trauma being stored in the tissues. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that. Like, I understand that what, like, I understand what you were just saying about how it kind of gets, it gets wired into the nervous system. So when we're in a similar situation, the nervous system responds the same way. Is there like a physiological imprint on the tissues of trauma? Is that part of how it works? Yeah, so the imprint occurs because the body is returning to that state of survival. Now, there's two different ways that this can happen. One, let's say I go into a heightened state of high arousal to protect myself. 
and I never come down out of it. So I remain in this, and my heart rate is running fast, right? The blood flow is moved out to my limbs in order for me to have action. And I kind of live my life in that high arousal zone. So in that sense, the tissues are responding. The heart rate is at an increased level, even when I'm trying to rest. And maybe I'm forming symptoms like um, a heightened startle response or I might be having digestive issues because I'm not getting good blood flow or um, kind of, you know, metabolic for rest and digest mm -hmm. to move through. Um, I might develop heart palpitations or insomnia. Yeah, we can have, see a different kind of symptom list. So that would be one example. Yeah. Yeah. So this metabolic change, and that's going to affect the tissues. I'm going to be more tight, more rigid. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yet there's going to be this churned up high nervous system response. Now, another example would be, I actually do have the capacity to come down into more of this relaxed, but ready state. You know, I'm kind of more in my day to day, but then something either conscious or unconscious reminds me of the trauma or the overwhelm. And then I pop into that high state, right? Highly charged state. And as soon as I do that, the tissues follow. Hmm. Body workers often say the issues are in the tissues. <laughs> so you can do this work all in an embodied way, which is so wonderful because you don't necessarily need the content. The content might drive sort of the physiological responses. So if I'm thinking about something or talking about something, we might take a little piece of that. And I'll say, as you talk about that experience, what sensations are you noticing in your body right now? And then we do some work to help the nervous system to come out of a highly, what I'm going to call it potentiated response. Now, the two kind of big responses that I wanted to talk to you all about and you might begin to think of identifying yourselves as we explore this is you can imagine like if you put your hand um, on sort of up above and then put your hand below so there's a, a, a window in front of you and now imagine a little wave going up and down within the window now, on one part, the excitation, that uprise of the wave, is the sympathetic nervous system. And that is responsible for all things that lead to excitation. And it could be positive, it could be negative, but it charges you up. Yeah. Now, this down wave is called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that is for all things in within this little window here for rest and digest, for relaxation, and bring you down so you can digest your food, so you can settle. Now, throughout a day, we wave up and down between sympathetic and parasympathetic, and in response to the environment, in response to our sleep cycles, our waking cycles, this is sort of just a, a natural biological rhythm that we have. Now, in trauma, or when we have a real or perceived life-threatening event, we go up outside of this window of tolerance. So that 
sympathetic nervous system goes into high mobilization, so high action. And it does this in order to protect us. So we go kind of into a startle. What is that? We orient to it. We figure out, is it friend or foe, approach, avoid, right? We might go into more active protective responses like vocalization. Who are you? Help me. Stop that, right? That's more kind of on the social level. Now, if that's not working so well, we might go into a more uh, primitive response, which would be fight or flight. Yeah. So this is the active protective response phase. Now, the body will decide at some point how effective that is. And it might decide. It decides. You don't decide. <laughs> this is your lower brain. Um, it might decide, you know, freeze is the best option here. And we go down into a parasympathetic response. But if you take that, you're up outside of the window of tolerance. Now draw a line down in your mind, down to the bottom of that window. So it's now outside the bottom of the window. And it's this deep parasympathetic break. So it's like the gas pedal and then the break. And that is a life threat. It's like everything stop, go into hibernation, go into conservation withdrawal. It's time to freeze. Positive things about the freeze is that we go into an analgesic state. It numbs us. Hmm. So if there's a tremendous amount of pain, that will go away. Um, injuries kind of fade to the background. We also go into a state of immobility. We might not injure ourselves more, right? And if this, back to evolutionary standards, if a predator is after you, sometimes predators aren't so interested in things that aren't moving or things that aren't alive, like plain possum. Mm -hmm. Or you can look at some of these great animal videos where, you know, there'll be a, a cheetah that's gotten an impala and you know, has, has maxed itself out in the chase and is about to eat the impala, but, you know, up comes a, a, you know, a warthog. And then it's sort of chasing the warthog away. And then out comes some baboons. And then it's sort of chasing the baboons away. And as it's doing that, this animal is coming out of freeze. It starts to shake and tremble and move, right? It starts to twitch. It starts to breathe more. And after a period of time, it jumps up and it runs away. So it also might give the animal some protection as far as giving it some time, buying it some time. If the animal gets distracted, the predator is distracted to escape. Mm -hmm. So human beings do this too. And that's one of another really great contributions of somatic experiencing and Dr. Peter Levine's work is that animals don't get post-traumatic stress disorder. Because <laughs> if they did, they'd be lunch. <laughs> you know, they're not in, have insomnia. They're not, you know, walking around freezing every moment they hear something. Now, they're in response to their environment in this moment-to-moment -moment way where they can be quite active, but then they can settle down to eat and graze, and then can be active again, and then settle down and graze. So... Um, one of the things that we, we explore is how actually this instinctual response that we have to be able to move through fight, flight, and freeze 
can be inhibited by people. So what makes us different is that we have this super, super smart, self-aware brain of ours. It's got the neocortex, or the human or the thinking brain. And we actually shut down those responses. We say, don't shake body, right? Don't tingle. Oh, I must be cold. I better get up and go. So we can kind of miss some of these natural movements, let's say, of the nervous system for activation and settling cycles. We don't even pay attention to our bodies. So we stay in constriction. Our bodies would like to come out of constriction, but we don't tend to the beginning of the wave that naturally will allow that to occur. And so we stay in these heightened states of stress. I feel like that's incredibly prevalent in our society too. Just that go, go, go heightened states. It's almost uh, recognized as the normal or the way to be successful, I think, in a lot of, a lot of different uh, ways. And I'm curious too, and I think this ties into what you were just talking about. And thank you for that explanation because that was very thorough and I like the animal imagery as well. Um, if you could talk a little bit about like what it is to be well-regulated, because this is something I talk a lot about when I'm doing education. Um, and like, I, I know what it means for myself to be well-regulated and to kind of be in that sweet spot where I'm um, sort of in that nice window that you were discussing. But I would just love to hear your explanation or discussion a little bit about like what that is to be well-regulated and how do we even know if we're well-regulated? That's a great question. So one of the first things that I encourage people to begin to do, and I want to say for some people, this is going to be pretty easy. And for other people, it's going to be like I'm speaking a completely different language. So no, there's a whole spectrum for various reasons where you might kind of fall on this continuum, but becoming aware of your internal sensations. In neuroscience, we call it interoception. Um, it's coined by Dr. Bud Craig. And interoception is the awareness of your internal bodily sensations. So for example, I have a lot of different sensations occurring in my body every moment, but it's not until I become aware of them that I sort of consciously start to use a different part of my brain. They call it the insular cortex. Okay, so you have a specific area. If I notice right now my hands are cold because I live in Montana and it's freezing today, <laughs> but my feet are warm, they feel toasty. Right, this part is going to light up in my brain. It's a really important part of the brain. So this awareness of your internal states is the beginning of a place to start. So I encourage everybody to just start to notice some basic paired opposites. Like where am I warm and where am I cool? Where am I tight? And where am I relaxed? Where am I hard? And where am I soft? Where am I feeling a quality of stillness? And where might I be feeling some energy or could be a fluid-like feeling, it could be an electrical, buzzy, butterfly, twitchy, right? So beginning to kind of explore these internal sensations in relationship to your self-state throughout the day. 
So that's one piece. It's like that um, curiosity. And we develop a witness, right? That sort of is watching it, not judging it. Oh, I feel tight right now. Oh, I feel buzzy right now. Oh, I feel soft and warm and smooth. And I do encourage you to start to notice when you know you feel better. Because mm -hmm. we tend to notice when we feel stressed. And the times that our interest is in the body is when we're more dysregulated. If we're regulated, we think, oh, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm paying attention to everything else. But we don't get the benefit of the softness and the smoothness and the warmness and the flowiness and the openness. Right. So let's even try it right now. If you think about something that makes you feel more like yourself. Alice, do you have something that you comes to mind as a that makes you feel more like yourself? I have some really good memories I use for resourcing like this. Um, mostly in nature. I had a really nice experience in Tahoe a few months ago when I was there hiking on this trail by Emerald Bay and just getting um, like a place with no people so I could just take my clothes off and jump in the water. And I just have this really clear, multi-sensational um, memory of like the coolness of the water and the snow-capped peaks and the greenery of the trees and feeling really strong with moving in the water. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a nice one to, makes me feel very much like myself. Beautiful, beautiful. And I can hear you've kind of, um, telescoped around in a sense with all of the five senses within the image so you know there's smells and sounds and feelings in the image itself and may i ask how do you know that feels resourcing in your body what are some of the sensations that go with that image expansive is a big one i feel expansive through my chest um, i have a nice sense of flow that sort of runs from my chest like down through my pelvis and my legs just feels like there's some nice, gentle, easy movement um, as well. Some warmth through my abdomen and through my torso. Wonderful. So this would be one kind of regulated state. Mm -hmm. This has a kind of a relaxed quality of energy moving, right? Because it's an active memory. Yes. And there's a, a nice flow of life force. We could call it. There is an expansion. Alice is in her bodily container, right? It feels pleasant. We might have more um, parasympathetic images too, like if you um, think about resting somewhere, being in a hammock, you know, you might get more of that dropping, settled, quiet feeling. Um, it could be that you're remembering a time where you were really active, you know, physically doing something uh, strenuous and so you get a little bit of charge but it's pleasant life energy right it's this this kind of feeling of capacity and resilience um, there could be many different things so sometimes it's more relaxation other times it's a feeling of life flow and empowerment so that's a whole kind of description of regulation now I think of it also in one other way and that is that over time as we notice our bodily sensations and especially if we have trauma if we work through some of the trauma that we've experienced or where there's dysregulation or survival potentiation 
as we work through that, we also are able to hold more charge before we go into behaviors, um, so it could be actions or into um, patterns, old patterns that kind of the non-conscious takes over and mm -hmm. we don't have as much choice. So I not only have the ability to come down if I'm starting to feel really frustrated, for example, I can sort of settle myself a little bit more before I might pop before pop out into a full fight response. And so I'm able to stay more engaged and more connected in that fight response. So you also kind of create more capacity to be in the charge. And also I would say regulation occurs when we can move through extreme states of fight and flight and freeze, but we don't stay stuck in them. So we have release cycles like that animal twitching or moving, we're feeling the buzzing, we're allowing our body, our heart rates to come down, right? We might be just tending to ourselves so that we can come back more into that window of tolerance after an acute event has occurred or after a reminder of something has occurred with, oh, I did it again. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to give myself, what am I sensing in my body right now? What's so difficult about this experience? Why am I so prone to doing this behavior? So I might say, oh, I just have that crushing feeling in my chest again, as if I could suffocate. Okay, I'm feeling that sensation and I'm going to notice that. I'm going to put my hand there. Okay, so we have certain things called stabilization tools. Um, there's a, a, a whole training that goes with somatic experiencing. So if you like what you hear, I highly recommend that, you know, you connect with someone like Alice um, and a somatic experiencing student or practitioner and work through some of the trauma in this embodied way. Because for so many people, it is the, it's the key, right? Because it's, it's underneath our conscious radar. It's something that we need to work out kind of, you know, on this physiological level. Now, stabilization tools are something I can just give you very quickly. Once you notice an internal state, let's say if you have that crushing feeling in your chest or whatever the overwhelm feels like, what's the sensation of the dysregulation? Is it in your face, your throat, your chest, your stomach, your arms, your legs? Is it tight? Is it hot? Is it buzzing? Is it electric? Is it crushing? Is it like a void? It could be all kinds of descriptions. Then you can take your hand and you can place it over that area, right? Or you could, you know, put your hands over both shoulders like a hug almost, I'm feeling the container of your body. And give a little time as you feel the contact from the outside. Notice if the sensation, try to stay out of the meaning, try to stay out of the images, come present. Does the sensation, the dysregulated sensation, increase, decrease, or stay the same? Now, touch would be one thing that we do. Orienting is another, where you actually notice the sensation, but then you come out into the environment, you use your head, your neck, and your eyes to look around and to locate some things in your environment that 
you find that are pleasant, stabilizing, right? So I'm looking, Allison has, Alice has this beautiful plant behind her right now with some different colors. So my eyes are drawn to that. And it actually has a soothing effect for me because I also love nature and plants and gardening. And so that feeling of the tension in my chest starts to ease. Yeah. Any kind of quaky or shaky or tingly or vibrating feelings, that's a good reset button. So if you can let your body twitch, it almost, it's not quite that your body is afraid, but it, it's like feels like your body might be coming out of shock, like um, an overwhelm. That's a very common metabolic experience that helps to reset the nervous system. So I call it, um, many people are not old enough to know this analogy, but they used to have this old um, advertisement it's for, um, it was like for cooking, it was shake and bake. <laughs> so you might shake as you come out of feeling stressed and you might get really hot, mm -hmm. right? So instead of going to getting an ice pack, right? And taking a cold shower, let yourself sweat, let yourself shake, let your jaw tremble, let your body just kind of shake it through. And then at the end of that, there's usually these big deep breaths and a feeling of deep and profound relief. So Peter Levine calls this discharge and animals in the wild do it all the time and humans tend to inhibit it. So regulation occurs when we move out of the way of our mind. <laughs> we notice the dysregulated states and we give it time to resolve itself. If it's not resolving on its own, we might do some stabilization tools. So orienting through the five senses, self-contact, right? Gentle movement could be another thing that really helps people. Um, those can begin to interrupt that distress signaling as if the trauma is still occurring. Yeah. Yeah. So, so those are some different things kind of in the nervous system that we can do. And what I think of with a regulation and it's an ongoing curiosity where am I? Am I regulated? Am I dysregulated? And try not to judge yourself, you know, what you just kind of like become curious about where you are and give yourself time to naturally shift. And if you don't move your attention to somewhere where it feels better, give yourself a little stabilization and come back and see if you feel different. And so that's another question. What happens next? What happens now? How are you changing through time? And that's very helpful because we realize, oh, you know, I don't feel as tight in my chest. I actually feel some more relaxation down in my stomach. Yeah. And so then we can pay attention to that. And that will help kind of unwind that trauma signaling. It feels like an unwinding. I think with practicing the, this work, that's definitely something I've noticed. And it, it allows for, at least in, in my own physiology and what I've been aware of, it allows for more of that expansiveness when the unwinding occurs. Um, and I love the whole concept of like, just notice where you feel better. This is something I, I work a lot with within my population and with a lot of the education that I do online as I talk a lot about just where, notice even if it's just a little bit where you feel better. 
Um, and I've been doing recently, I've been doing like a little seven day challenge for, um, for about 40 women online with some videos and introducing some somatic tools. And one of the things that's become very apparent to me, people, I'm getting nice feedback, like, oh, we like the tools and, you know, this is helpful. Um, and one thing I've heard from quite a few people is, oh, you know, I've, I've been more aware of noticing like triggers or where I feel bad, but this practice of starting to like draw on resources and noticing when I'm feeling good. It was um, a very new practice for quite a few of the women involved in this challenge, which it's ex- ex- exciting for me to be able to share this because I know in my own life, it's helped so much to just start understanding and really feeling like when I'm feeling good and to orient towards pleasure um, with this work. So I love that you that you've tapped on that so eloquently as well. Well, it's increasing resilience. You know, we talk about that, this as a you know trauma recovery model. And more and more, I've been looking at it as an increase of resilience. And what do we want to see as the traumatic symptoms or the triggers are reduced? We want to see movement towards what fills it in, right? More life force, more curiosity, um, more energy, more choice. Mm right? Relaxed sort of state of readiness for whatever is going to occur. So that's a, I think that is such a key piece. And, and then the somatic work, we talk, like we call it like a pendulum. We move back and forth between this sort of what feels overwhelming, but also what feels good. And I'll challenge people because they'll say, so what are you noticing in your chest right now? And they say, I feel less tight. Oh, that's so interesting. As you say, I feel less tight. Do you mean you're more relaxed? And if the person begins to not just feel it as less tight, but more relaxed, it starts to give the lower brain this information of maybe I'm okay right now. Hey, amygdala warning center of the brain, you can stand down. You don't have to keep you know, shooting all these stress hormones and catecholamines and cortisol, and you can actually start to move more into this rest and digest or a state of flow or a state of expansion. Yeah. So um, it is such an important piece of this, of this work. And it's really interesting to think too, that we need to I don't want to speak for everyone. I've noticed that like building my capacity for pleasure and for feeling good is a, is a thing. Like there's a capacity to be built to feel good and to maybe it's just allowing more of that natural state to occur. Um, could you speak to that at all? That's one part of it is allowing that natural state to occur. And then there may also be Well, there's a a couple of angles. That's a great question. Sometimes when we are threatened, again, real real or um, perceived life threat, another thing that can occur is called dissociation, where we leave our bodies. Now, some people, it's kind of, they just end up more in the mental realm. Body, what body? Mm -hmm. Right? Other people are sort of floating up looking down at themselves or they're sort of in tunnel vision, right? Other people sort of partial dissociation. It's like I can feel parts of me, but not other parts of me. And so we might need to go through a process of these dysregulated states 
in order to gain more capacity so that we can begin to feel the, the overwhelm and the ease. And what's so hard is coming out of dissociation, the first thing that we tend to knock into is this, these survival states. And they're pretty overwhelming. So then we pop right back out, out again, right? Or we go back into these maladaptive behaviors or things that are sort of keeping us in the survival zone. Um, and so that's where working sometimes with a somatic experiencing practitioner um, or doing the, the work with you online can begin to help people to have some tools to go, oh yeah, as I come in, it's not comfortable but I'm gonna just move my attention between a couple of different areas and see if it can shift a little bit towards feeling a little bit better. And it might not be this sort of deeper regulation that we're talking about for a while. Mm -hmm. So we need to sort of expand the container and the capacity and work a little bit between, you know, the expansion and the contraction or the, the fight and the flight and the freeze and the bite and the flight and the freeze and, and some discharge. And then, you know, you, as you're doing that, the body naturally is starting to have some more capacity and people start to feel a little bit better, a little bit better, a lot more better, a lot more better. And then we sort of drop more into this regulated place. So I want to name that because for some people, you'll find that reservoir relatively quickly. And for others, it's going to take time. You know, you left your body for good reason a long time ago, and there's some you know, some of this survival physiology to work through and it takes patience and courage. Um, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's quite doable and there's a lot of possibility for help and support. And now I know you, you work a lot with um, women in sobriety. Is that? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cause it makes me also think about how you know, that, that nervous system chart that we were talking about. One of the things when I'm working with people in recovery is we start to talk about when would you reach for your substance of choice? Mm -hmm. And, and what was the effect in your nervous system? What, you know, did you, let's say alcohol, for example, did you drink alcohol because you're really anxious yeah, and maybe that anxiety pattern got set up from things in your family of origin or when you were a child, right? Things when people were violent, it wasn't safe, right? So you went into this state of this anxiety and flight. And when you drank, you felt calm. You felt like you could connect with people. You kind of, right? There, there, it's, an ex, it's an external attempt at regulating your nervous system. Now, other people might reach for a substance because they're really shut down, they're locked down, they're more in that freeze response. So they could feel depressed, right? They could um, feel really, really stuck. They could have pain patterns, right? And the alcohol helps to numb that so that they get some distance from that. Or maybe it kind of pulls them out of freeze where they do crazy stuff right? And then they party and they get in car accidents and then, and then they shut back down again, right? So there's a way in which a lot of the times drug and alcohol, it's like we're attempting to regulate, but it ends up being self-destructive. And in taking the substances and not using them anymore, 
we have to find or rekindle this connection to what I call your natural pharmacy. Mm. And, you know, that, that, that'll also take noticing what the dysregulation or the nervous system pattern is and recognizing, okay, I have to learn how to do this myself. And my body has all of the wisdom that it needs to in order to do that. And we're just going to take it little by little, right? So that, that's an important piece. And a lot of these responses that we have in our nervous system relate to something called implicit memory. So implicit in, is non-conscious. And you can have bodily, uh, you know, emotions. Sometimes we remember that we're remembering something specific. Other times it's just we're flooded by an emotion. We're not sure why. Or we're sort of drawn to do a behavior. Um, we, especially in our early attachment relationships, right? We keep finding the same old attachment relationship. Or we end up in these relationships that aren't so good for us. First, we don't see it. And then we see it. Oh, I did it again. Right, so repetitive kinds of things that can happen, which is really connected to this implicit nervous system response. And so the great thing about the somatic experiencing work is that we don't have to go through the content of everything that's happened, right? Or every time that you were kind of not conscious of something that was going on, but all of that information is stored in the nervous system. And so we can just drop underneath the radar and say, what are you noticing in your body right now? And help you to get reorganized or re-regulated. So I thought I would also bring that up because um, it's so important uh, when we've been through experiences um, where we also feel so out of control. And in many ways, it's just the survival brain that's taking over. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I love what you said too about just for anyone, you know, coming out of addiction or sobriety or, or not just that the, our, our bodies have the wisdom to be able to like heal and go through this. And it just takes some time and patience and not just, but it, but we have this innate ability just within ourselves. You know, we don't need to have anything other than our own bodies and awareness. And of course, you know, help with the skilled practitioner has um, been very helpful for me. So I would recommend that to anyone. Uh, but it's beautiful to, to just understand how wise our, our bodies are. Yeah. Well, you know, if you, if you cut your arm, your body will heal the cut. And it's the same in the nervous system. If there's dysregulation in the nervous system, if you allowed your body to shake and tremble and move the way it wants to move after disorganizing events, um, you would have the capacity to just kind of re-enter into that sense of the, the flow of life. Um, we, we've talked you know, about discharge. Another thing that might happen as we're remembering things um, is this thwarted feeling of fight or flight or protective responses. And that might be another thing that you notice if you're starting to track your body. Let's say there could be a discharge or shaking, but other times your body might want to push or kick or you know, punch, not that you do that with a person, right? <laughs> to a person, but, you know, we feel the energy of, in our body, the physiological charge, and we allow people to make movements of reasserting a sense of boundary. So let's say if I'm working with a person who is severely bullied, both in their family and their school, and, and later they developed um, uh, an addiction to alcohol, 
because they felt so disempowered and they went into a freeze and they're feeling like, you know, anytime that they want to motivate or move towards life, they go into a freeze because it takes some kind of a, let's say healthy aggression to get what you want. Um, and so we might be working through the feeling of the depression or the freeze, and maybe there's some memories of being attacked and there's some energy that starts to build. And I, I might say, does your body want to do anything with that energy? And the person says, I want to, I want to push away. I want to say, stop. I'll say, let's stand up, feel that stop back off. Now it didn't happen back in the, those times, but it's happening now. And remember the healing happens in the here and now. So the feeling of being able to assert your boundaries, the feeling of being able to be in a place where you have that healthy aggression to say, I want that. And I don't want that. I like that and I don't like that. Yeah. And, and this really helps, right? Us feel stable for us to feel confident and that helps to regulate the nervous system too. But we might need to sort of unlock the capacity from the past that got shut down. So that's another way that you might do some of this work. And I, I recommend that everybody just kind of stand up every once in a while and feel around their body and say, this is my boundary and no one may enter without my permission. Right. Or just sort of like feel the space around you. This is my space. And practice, right? Noticing when things feel good, noticing when things don't feel good or feel wrong and communicating to those people you know, that you care around you, how you feel. And that goes also a long way to repair a lot of, especially if there's early relational trauma where we weren't able to have a voice or we were overwhelmed or harmed in some way. I think those are really good suggestions and ways to start bringing this work into your life for people. And I'm curious, I know we're winding down here, but I'm curious if you could just share a couple, um, a couple things that you've noticed in your own life of uh, changes with your family dynamic or your relationships or just internally or externally since you've been, you know, practicing the work and, and teaching the work. Sure. Well, it's very significant. Um, when I started the work, I was in my twenties. So it was a long time ago. I've been in SE for over, well, close to, well, oh, close to 20 years. So it was in my mid twenties when I started and I had been a dancer all of my life. So I thought I was very embodied, but I was embodied in a particular way. I was musculoskeletally embodied and I could feel my body through space and I had, you know, good coordination. And, but learning about my nervous system was this whole other universe. And I look at it kind of like the unfolding of a poem, hmm. this, this descriptive universe that's happening at every moment and becoming relatively conscious I would say at most times, I'm also very much anchored in my bodily experience. And that's taken a lot of practice, you know, somatic day-to-day -day practice, dropping down, getting distracted, coming back. But the more tethered I am into, I feel my body right now as I'm talking to Alice and talking to you all, feeling the vibration in my throat, I'm feeling warmth, I'm feeling, you know, some heaviness, um, I feel some achiness here and there, you know, there's all these different sensations that are happening. And so, and that helps me to, um, well, for one thing, it has slowed me down quite a lot. 
Because when I start going too fast, my body gets tight and starts vibrating in, in a way that doesn't feel good. So I have to kind of pull my awareness back, come back over my spine, slow down a little bit. So it keeps my pacing um, a, a little bit more slow and measured. I also notice in transitions where I used to get really stressed that it, it smooths that out. So before I get up and I leave a cafe, I just ground into my feet. I look around, I settle in my body. I check for the coats, I check for the mittens, I check for the, you know, and I sort of gather myself and then I move. Cause I know that inherently, and that comes from some of my childhood, inherently those kinds of transitions can be stressful between places. I also certainly notice it. I have three children, <laughs> four, seven, and nine, and my own regulation has been, you know, um, and dysregulation too, right? You're going to pop out of your window sometimes. It just is going to happen, but I'm aware of it as it's happening. And I can, and then I can feel it and then feel myself come back and settle and then connect to my kids around what happened. What was that like? You know, mommy just got really upset and I felt really tight in my throat and I felt really hot for a minute. And I just was getting really frustrated because I've asked you to get your shoes on three times and we need to go, <laughs> right? These very, you know, real life challenges, right? Um, but I'm able to communicate that and move through it, both having more capacity with the upset and the difficulty, um, but also to not get stuck where I'll just be spinning around in that high arousal zone. And I give myself time. I, I, I twitch after I see clients, I work with trauma. So, you know, I'll push around my boundary. Mm -hmm. I'll reassert my space. I'll let my body discharge and move. I'll give myself sort of like this processing time to move through the, those set points that kind of can occur throughout a day. Um, and then I'm doing it moment to moment, but it also just little windows where I give myself the gift of just letting happen in my body what wants to happen. Um, so in, increased capacity for work, um, being really relational with my kids. Um, you know, my, my partner and I, he and I have, seem to have the same attachment argument, but over and over through the years, it's kind of like the same argument in a different guise each time or the same attachment patterns that we've had forever. But each time my goal is to do it a little bit differently, hmm. you know, to either not like pull away or um, ask him if he'll come closer so that I don't pull away. Like, you know, we'll, we'll look at it and we'll be like, okay, this is what happened. Um, how next time if that, that occurs, what are a few things that we can do that might make it a little easier so we can come back together sooner or we come you know, give ourselves time to come down more into that rational zone where we can have the conversations that we need to. Um, and it, I'm really proud, you know, for time, little by little, it's just, just changing and I'm changing and growing. So it sounds, sounds yeah, it sounds <laughs> lovely too. Just having that awareness to be able to return into, um, I like how you said that you're, you're, I don't know if you said grounded in your body, but you, it's like the, this touch point for you that you always can just come back to feel, notice what's going on. Um, 
And also the point about giving yourself times throughout the day, because I think that's really important. Even if it's just a little bit, it's something I've started doing um, at the advice of my practitioner is just like five minutes here and there, even in between patients to just stop and notice, like just bring it back home really is what it feels like. And then kind of go forth more renewed. So I, I love that you touched on that too. Well, thank you uh, so much for coming on the podcast, Abby. It's always a delight to hear hear you teach and speak and and hear a little bit about how the work is, has um, brought new things into your life as well. Thank you. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be here. I really enjoy uh, sharing about the work and want to encourage all of the listeners to continue this journey of self-exploration. Yeah, you and me both. Is there, um, are there places where people can find you if they want to hear more from you? Um, anything like that that you'd like to talk about before we hop off? Yeah, so one of the primary places if people are interested in finding a somatic experiencing practitioner is you can go to the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute's website which is traumahealing.org. And if you go under the list of practitioners, you can find a practitioner that's in your area to receive somatic experiencing work. Some are psychologically trained, others are body workers or meditation teachers or coaches. So there's a whole kind of lineage of different kinds of healers that are out there that employ this kind of work. So I do encourage people to look there. I'm not taking any new clients. I had to close my wait list a while ago. Um, but if you're interested in reading any articles that I put out, any publications or webinars, you can go on to my website and sign up for this little newsletter that goes out every once in a while. Um, or just revisit the site, which is Abby, A-B-I, Blakeslee, B-L-A-K-E-S-L-E-E.com, abbyblakeslee.com. Much of that website, I provide case consultations for our somatic experiencing students. So you would get reminders about those groups. Um, but I do podcasts and webinars pretty regularly. And we also send out notices when those go up. Perfect. And I'll put all of that information in the show notes as well. So people can have those websites easily accessible. Um, all right, Abby. Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Pleasure. Thank you.